Our sermon text for today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. If you need the sermon notes with the answers, uh, would you please raise your hand and the ushers will make sure that you have a copy of that. This is the word of the Lord. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And uh, there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots of co and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whether, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you, have, you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to the Lord, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Growing up, I often spent time during the summer around my grandfather's house. Uh, those times were times of great memories. My cousins and I played all kinds of games that children play growing up that today are part of the stories that make us who we are. As we laid in my grandfather's yard, we're always in the presence of two large trees, a mango tree and an avocado tree. You may think that this is so stereotypical of a Latino household, right? Yes, a mango tree and an avocado tree. Both trees when I was a kid, yielded great fruit. But one year, I noticed the avocado tree had no fruit. As I asked my grandfather for the reason, he told me that the tree had rotten from the inside and it was now hollow and dead, though it stood. The mango tree, on the other hand, to this day, yields the most amazing mangoes. These two trees perfectly illustrate our passage for today. The traditions of men put forth by the scribes and the Pharisees may produce the appearance of life, but it is dead on the inside and fruitless. Faith in Christ, which is being offered to you today, produces lasting fruit worthy of eternal life. 
we come to an abrupt transition in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Mark has no problem with abrupt transitions. No, he uses them intentionally. As we have seen for this past several months, Mark is a literary genius, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Mark is here with his abrupt transition further depicting the overwhelming nature of Jesus' ministry. His favorite word in the gospel is the word immediately, which he uses 47 times in 16 chapters. We have seen in the past several weeks and months the disciples pursuing an ever-elusive time of respite. We've seen the crowd chase after Jesus for healing, for food, for miracles, for deliverance. We've seen Peter's house full to the brim, to the point that some came and removed the roof of his house only to approach Jesus. So this Abrupt transition is another device that Mark is using in order to help us feel, not just hear, but feel this restless, fast-paced, overwhelming ministry. Today we turn away from Jesus' miracles and his interactions with his disciples as we meet old friends again. Or perhaps, better put, as we meet old foes. The Pharisees and the scribes. The last time we saw them was back in chapter 3. So it might be helpful for us to take a minute and remember who the scribes and the Pharisees were. Scribes were teachers and interpreters of the law. They were often arbiters for legal disputes, among the people, and they relied heavily on customs and traditions. It, it is helpful to think of their role as a hybrid, perhaps between a pastor and a judge. They were zealous for the word of God, and it is well attested that they copied the word of God with incredible precision. Pharisees were part of a religious group. One of the two frequently mentioned in the Gospels, the other group being the Sadducees. Often Pharisees were scribes also. They were zealous for the law and they were zealous for a tradition. And here's, here's their great mistake. They thought of themselves as models of obedience. They thought that they were the standard. They thought that others needed to be like him. So they thought that their traditions needed to be imposed on others. And this caused them to be very judgmental of others. Both of these groups stood in the Gospels as the great enemies of Christ. Listen to what Jesus says of them in the Gospel of John. 
you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Strong words. In essence, both of this group had the same fatal flaw. They failed to understand grace. They failed to understand the grace of God. They believed that obedience apart from regeneration, obedience apart from being born again, pleased God. In other words, they believed in a be good, do good religion. They believed their ability to keep the law would bring about the coming of the Messiah. They believed that the Messiah would come as the people became more and more obedient. So they sought, they sought to spread obedience through tradition rather than transformation. But the opposite was true. The coming of the Messiah would not take place because of obedience. Their inability to keep the law of Moses was the very reason why Jesus had to come. We can, we can so easily believe the same lies, can't we? We can believe that God is pleased with us when we obey so we can think that we can earn the grace of God. We can think that God owes us His grace. We can demand the grace of God because of those things that are innate to us. Well, friends, listen. Grace that is earned is not grace. We need Christ. We need Him. So today as we look at Mark, we look for the heart of true religion. But we're going to look for the heart of true religion as we examine false religion. Today we'll see that tradition leads to death. Like that avocado tree. But faith leads to life. Today we'll look at traditions and see that in them alone there is no life. But when we believe, when we believe, when we believe God, when we cherish from a transformed heart His commandments, when we understand our desperate need for Christ, we find life. So let's turn to Mark as we consider the traditions of men. The first thing that I want you to see from the text today is that traditions of men are legalistic. Traditions of men are legalistic. In verse 1, we see the Pharisees with some of the scribes, and, and they gather to Jesus, but where are they coming from? They're coming from Jerusalem. For Mark, Jerusalem, during the time of Jesus, was a place of dead religion. This is ironic. This is the city of David. But everything that comes out of Jerusalem is dead. And the whole gospel of Mark is simply a great journey that Jesus makes towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem was dead. And how does Jesus offer hope to Jerusalem? 
he goes to die in Jerusalem. But his death is different. Jerusalem is dead because of their traditions, but Jesus dies so that they may have faith and find in him life. In Mark 3, we meet the Pharisees that were so distraught when they hear Jesus' statement that he is Lord of the Sabbath that they plan, along with the Herodians, to kill Jesus. Then a few verses later, we see the scribes. And we're told specifically, these scribes came from Jerusalem. They're hearing the reports of Jesus, so they come from Jerusalem to see who this person is all about. And what do they do? They accuse Jesus of doing his works by the power of the devil, by the power of Beelzebub. We haven't seen them in four chapters, but now they're back. And they want to prove that Jesus is not the Son of God. So they pressed Jesus on a ritual that they themselves had made up. They notice in verse 2 that some of Jesus' disciples don't observe hand washing before eating. Now, this has nothing to do with what we in our modern minds would think of, of as hygiene practices. No, the problem that the Pharisees had was not that the disciples' hands were dirty and they were going to get sick. The problem that they had is that they were defiled. They were ceremonially unclean. So they turn to Jesus in verse 5 and ask, Why do your, your disciples not walk according to the traditions, to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They're pressing Jesus. They're trying to convince Jesus to adopt their morality, their standard. And here's the great problem with tradition. We may have traditions. We may observe traditions. But when we demand others to observe our traditions as though they're obeying God, this is evil and wicked. This is against the commandments of God. This is against the purpose of Christ. Jesus came so that we could have freedom and not bondage. They were determined here to catch Jesus on a mistake. They thought they did. Ha, here is Jesus and his flaw. He can't be the son of God, but they didn't. You can look through the entire Old Testament and you will not find these requirements anywhere. These are traditions that they had elevated to the level of commandments. Traditions according to the elders, to the leaders, and not according to the law of God. These are man-made laws. And man-made laws are the heart of legalism. Legalism is when I establish the standard of holiness myself. I decide what holiness is. Legalism denies the wisdom of God. No, God, your requirements are not holy enough. I need to make them more severe. I know how holy they ought to be, God. You don't. And therefore, we end up setting ourselves 
as the standard of holiness rather than God himself. To be holy is to be like me. But the commandments of God point us to holy God. And we ought to be like him. Liberty, uh, legalism is the enemy of liberty. Friends, we must be satisfied with the requirements of God. They're not burdensome. Christ's yoke is light. We must not make Christ a burden. We must not think of God's demands as lacking in any way. God is filled with wisdom in ways that we are not. If the Bible says it, it settles it. But if the Bible doesn't say it, we must live at peace with people who may have differences, who may view the world differently. Liberty trumps legalism. Not only this, but also I want, to, I want you to see that the traditions of men are merely external. The traditions of men are merely external. In verses 3 and 4, Mark introduces a parenthetical comment as he describes the traditions of the elders or the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. A side note here, no Jewish audience would need this explanation. Clearly, Mark is writing to a Gentile to a Gentile audience, perhaps most likely the church in Rome, where Peter himself was a pastor. So what are these practices? Well, Mark tells us, the washing of hands, the washing of cups, pots, vessels, even the dining couches were washed before eating. The point of these traditions were to anticipate the possibility of defilement. They would observe these practices just in case if they went to the market and interacted with somebody that was defiled, these practices would cleanse them. However, None of these practices address the impurity of the heart. It is easier to practice religious rituals than it is to address the sin in our hearts. That this is why we're so given towards tradition. This is why tradition is so dangerous. Tradition makes us feel like we're doing something to earn God's favor. But favor that is earned is not favor. Grace that is earned is not grace. Look at how Jesus explains the external nature of traditions in verse 6. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They excel in the recitation of the truth, but not in obedience. They sang the songs, the psalms that spoke the truth about God, but their lives were far from the truth they spoke about and they sang about. We can become experts in tradition, can't we? 
We can become experts in traditions and understand the ins and outs of external religion. We can have the hymns memorized, Bible verses. We can attend church, re church regularly, appear on the outside ultra-religious, meanwhile, ignoring our own sin. The very rebellion that lives within our hearts. I'm not speaking against tradition here. I'm not speaking against tradition in itself. I love our Christian Baptist heritage. I love the fact that we sing traditional hymns traditionally. It reminds us that we're connected with generations and generations of faithful believers. I'm speaking against tradition that replaces faith. Tradition that mimics faith. I'm speaking against traditions that cause us to see ourselves as strong and pious while others are weak in comparison to us. I'm speaking against traditions that we impose on others as though they were the standard that God demands. Traditions that keep our eyes on the speck of our neighbor while we ignore and blind ourselves when it comes to the log in our own eyes. True religion, however, transforms the heart. Luke twenty-two thirty-seven: You shall love the Lord your God not with your traditions, but with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Friends, I don't know about I don't know about you, but this commandment scares me. I can't do this. I can't do this. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. It is from the heart. True religion is from the heart. Jeremiah 29, 3. You will seek me and find me, not with traditions, not with legalism, but when you seek me with all your heart. Recently, Indy and I were listening to a recording of a pop song made very popular back in the 90s. As we listened to it, I figured out it would be a good idea for me to show off a little bit of my knowledge of music the uh, theory to my wife. So I started explaining to Indy that that song contained a beautiful common tone modulation to the enharmonic median mode. I hope you know what that means. If you don't, don't worry. I'm still a little confused about it myself. But as I looked over my shoulder, as I looked over my proud and both boastful shoulder, I see my wife in tears. So moved by the song that she never heard a word I said. And so it struck me that my head knowledge failed to move my heart. For her heart was moved by the song. And this is the difference between external religion and religion that is born of the heart. I'm not speaking against knowledge. I'm speaking against knowledge that does not move the heart. I'm not speaking against knowing the Bible and knowing the hymns of the faith. 
I'm speaking about performance that does not move the heart. Why? Because the, because the results of external religion are dangerous. The results of tradition that is tradition for tradition's sake are dangerous. What do they produce? This is our next point. Traditions of man produce vain worshipers. Vain worshipers. What is Jesus' answer to the question proposed by the Pharisees and the scribes in verse 5? Look at verses 6 through 8. He doesn't answer them. Jesus does not deal with the fools according to their folly. Instead, he rebukes them. Jesus uses very strong language here. He first calls them a hypocrite. A hypocrite was an actor in Greek theater who spoke underneath a mask. So Jesus is indicting them for speaking out of appearances only, behind a mask. He's saying, you give the appearance of faithfulness, but you are a false worshiper of the one to God. They performed the religious acts, but were ultimately rejected by God. Jesus tells us what true worship is in John 4, 23. But the hour is coming and it is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, internal, and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So Jesus in verse 7 with the heart of this passage says, in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, the teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. I mean, Jesus, how could you say such a thing? These people live for God. All they do, all they talk about, all their resources, all their time is geared towards god isn't it yes but they're worshiping the wrong god they're worshiping the god of self they've enthroned in their hearts their ego they're worshiping the god of man's traditions but jesus wants them to obey the commandments of god and friends Sometimes the traditions of man mimic the commandments of God, but we must not confuse them. We must not allow the loudest voices in our ears to be the voices of those who are close to the kingdom and yet not in it. It concerns me that sometimes we can confuse conservatorism with biblical Christianity and think that the two are the same. I want to say this loud and clear. There are great overlaps between the two of them, but one of them saves you and the other one doesn't. They're not the same. It concerns me that we could become satisfied hearing the voices of men like Tucker Carlson and Jordan Peterson who are great truth tellers, but think that they speak words of eternal life. They don't. Friends, we can't be 
the most conservative-minded group of people and yet reject Christ. We need to conserve the morality of our culture, but we need to first we need first to make sure that our hearts are transformed. That our morality and conservatism are not just external practices, but that they flow out of a deep desire to obey the commandments of God and not the traditions of men. This week, I'm sure many of us have kept our eyes on the news and on our bank accounts. We're seeing an entire meltdown of banks. We haven't gotten to the bottom of it, but whatever is happening is not good. We know that. The banks promise to keep our deposits, but many of them have failed. So all around the world, people entrusted their monies to the banks in vain. Imagine now the consequences of realizing that all the hard work to accumulate life savings, retirement, generational wealth, turns out to be in vain. The provision and comfort for the later years of our lives, gone. The inheritance that we want to leave for our children and our grandchildren, gone. And imagine realizing that all the dedication to build these things were in vain. And yet, this is not the greatest problem that lurks around us. This would be terrible. But how much more devastating would it be if we dedicate our entire lives to God or to a God who turns out not to be the one true God? Friends, when Jesus returns, many will be surprised at His rejection. But heed His words now. Jesus speaking out of Matthew 7, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Works. Cast out demons in your name? Works. And do many mighty works in your name? And what will they hear? And, they, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Vain religion. Works-based religion. Instead, hear the words of encouragement from Paul to Timothy where he admonishes his disciple to hold on to genuine religion, religion that will not disappoint him at the end. And I want you to hear how there are no works here, but I want you to hear the role of faith. 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pardon of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Friends, vain religion boasts on works. True religion boasts on faith. What is the difference between Matthew 7 and 
in 2 Timothy 1, the difference between, that's the difference between vain worship and true worship. Vain worship emphasizes what one has accomplished, but true worship emphasizes faith in what Christ has accomplished. Traditions will always demand more traditions. Traditions are exhausting. They rob you of life. But faith rests on a work that is finished. Traditions cause you to doubt the love of God, the goodness of God. Traditions cause you to question your own salvation. But faith assures you that nothing you do could cause God to love you more than He already does in Christ. The love of Christ demonstrated for us in His life and death. We should have paid for our vain traditions and for the idolatry of self, but Jesus dies for us. So we can be spared the judgment of God who should rightly judge us for the rejection of His testimony. But Jesus died for us. And when Jesus cries, it is finished, this is the most encouraging phrase we could hear because He's saying it is finished for me, but it is also finished for you. There are no more traditions. So what must I do then? Jesus says, just love me. Just love me. Trust me, believe me. Look to me. And not to yourself. Friends, this is the invitation of the gospel. Are you living an exhausting life of tradition? Are you trying to make yourself before, right before God on your own works? The invitation today is for us to abandon all tradition and know that the work is finished. Believe Christ and God will hold nothing against you on the contrary he will give you the righteousness of christ himself as a gift finally we'll turn to the traditions of man and how they reject the wisdom of god in verse 9 jesus uses strong irony to show the scribes and the pharisees their folly he says you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of god in order to establish your tradition. You see how Jesus pits commandments and traditions against each other? He's saying those two can't live together. You have to reject one in order to establish the other. The commandments of God are good. And, and you may be asking yourself this question, but what are the commandments of God? And, and that's a great question to ask. Come back next week, and I'm going to answer that question. Okay? I'm not going to answer that question today. Uh, but Jesus addresses that question next week. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. And what does it do? It makes the wise, makes wise the simple. It gives us the wisdom of God. This is the point of the law. It makes us wise unto God. Before God. We need the word of God to guide us in wisdom. Because when we think we are wise apart from the wisdom of God. We are truly fools. The denial of God and consequences of the denial of God's wisdom are the marks of the fool. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age. Wise according to the world. Let him become a fool 
that he may become wise. Let him come to Christ and get his wisdom from Christ so that he can gain wisdom. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. He goes on to catch the wise in their craftiness. Now in verses 10 through 13, Jesus will show them how their man-made traditions make the word of God void. In verse 10, Jesus reminds them of the fifth commandment. He says, honor your father and your mother. This is such a simple commandment. It is the first commandment that we should teach our children. And Jesus also reminds them of the punishment that those who break that commandment should receive. This is really important. We'll come back to this in just a second. What is the punishment for those who do not honor their father and their mother? Jesus says, it's death. And then Jesus goes on to show them how through manipulation they break one of the simplest commandments of God. Look back at verse 11. Jesus brings up a practice that the scribes and Pharisees often observe called Corbin. This is a, a Hebrew word. Corbin simply means uh, an offering made to God or an offering. Every Jewish person had the obligation of caring, to their, caring for their parents until they died. No nursing homes, no assisted living, no, when your parents age, they live with you. You care for them. But when someone declared Corbin, their property would be dedicated to the temple. So this would release them from the obligation to care for their parents. They would keep their properties until they died, and then it would belong to the temple. So by doing this, they avoid honoring their, 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 their fathers and their mothers in their old age. So Jesus points out that this, Jesus points out to them that this was their way of manipulating the law and really yield a fruit of wickedness. They manipulated the law of God so they would have to not love their parents. This is the opposite fruit that the law is supposed to produce. This is lifeless. This is like a hollow tree that produces no fruit. These people may seem strong, robust, sturdy. They have it all together on the outside, but on the inside, all they have is decay, defilements. They give the appearance of fruitfulness, but they produce fruits of wickedness. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You notice back in verse 10, Jesus said, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Jesus is pronouncing a judgment of death that is based 
from the law. Those who break the law of God must die. This is what Jesus is saying. This was God's warning to humanity from the very beginning. He said to Adam, if you do not heed my commandments, you will die. Friends, before we rush to accuse the scribes and the Pharisees of manipulating the law for their own selfish purposes, we need to realize that this story is here to warn us. This story is here because we're not different from the scribes and the Pharisees. We too reject the wisdom of God and fall prey to our own foolish ways. As a society, we have done that, but we have done it as individuals too. We have a God who provides for our every need, but we are marked by dissatisfaction, complaint, grumbling, When faced with fear and anxiety, instead of running to God and His Word, we run to the idols of the news and social media. We neglect the worship of the one true God. We replace the gathering of believers with sporting events, family brunches, or just a little more sleep. We hate those who don't think like us, don't vote like us, don't act like us. So the pressing question is, if the scribes and Pharisees deserve death for breaking the law of God, what do we deserve? And the answer is clear. We deserve death. We deserve to die and pay for our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. Do we deserve mercy? No. We do not deserve mercy. We deserve the righteous, holy wrath of God because we have embraced traditions rather than the commandments of God. We deserve punishment because God has made His wisdom known to us, but we chose our own ways. We chose folly. So is there hope? Is there hope for you, for me, who are not any different from the scribes and the Pharisees? And the answer is yes, there is hope. But not the hope that the law affords, but the hope that the gospel affords. Galatians 2, 19 through 20, for through the law, I die to the law. If we live for the law, we die, friends. We must die to the law so that I might live to God. So then Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Jesus' work on the cross, that has been accounted to me. And it's no longer I who live. But it is Christ in me. Christ who lives in me, it is His works that I'm going to bring before God. And I'm going to say, Lord, trust the righteousness of your Son. I do not cry out, deal with me according to my righteousness. Deal with me according to the righteousness of your Son. It is Christ who lives in me. 
In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not works. Not boasting on our traditions, not boasting on our religious practices, not boasting on our discipline, but boasting on the faith that we have in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, this is the hope for those who transgress the law of God. It is faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. So, can we commit today to drop every confidence that we have in the works of the flesh and cling by faith to the cross of Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, how foolish we can be thinking that we're strong when truly we are weak. Thinking, Lord, that anything that we can do can earn us the favor of God. Lord, we do not boast in our traditions. We boast on the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that today none of us would have any confidence on the flesh, but that we would turn to Christ and in his life, death, burial, and resurrection find life and life eternal. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.